How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Whenever humanity faces a crisis, you can always count on heroines to be there for us. During COVID-19, there have been no braver souls than those in healthcare. Doctors, nurses, general staff and trainees all working together to keep us safe. They have given of themselves and sacrificed so much. We all should recognize their efforts. But there's also something else we need to recognize. These heroines also suffer. While we may not think about their struggles, they are real, and the consequences can be severe. This week, we're going to learn about the downside of being a healthcare heroine. We'll hear about how the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic are affecting women across the spectrum, and how many of the problems they face have nothing to do with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to give you even more reason to salute our healthcare heroines. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. When health falters, we seek medical attention. That usually means going to a doctor's office, clinic, or hospital in the hopes that whomever we see will make us better. But when the world's health begins to fail, such as in the case of a pandemic like COVID-19, we turn to healthcare workers to not only soothe us, but also to save us. Over the last year, people across the globe have shown their support for the great work that these individuals, usually unrecognizable in their PPE, can do for us. We have applauded them, serenaded them, and given them tickets to some of the greatest shows on earth. But even as we show our thanks, we are missing an incredibly troubling reality. Many of the heroines behind the mask are suffering. The troubles may vary from overwork to a lack of respect to the absence of a place to rest. Many of these issues have less to do with the spreading pandemic and more to do with the endemic nature of the healthcare space. There's little doubt things need to change, but most likely it'll happen after COVID-19 is over. To gain insight into the struggles, I'm joined by Abby Sriharan. She is the Program Director for Systems Leadership and Innovation and an Assistant Professor at the Institute for Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the Dalalana School of Public Health. She is known as a realist applied researcher and has worked as a consultant for multinational organizations such as the World Health Organization, World Federation of Neurology, Middle East Hearing Association, and the Canada International Scientific Exchange Program. She focuses on healthcare systems, including what is missing and what can be done to improve it. To put it succinctly, she is quite literally the healthcare heroine's heroine. 
Give us an idea of the contribution of women to healthcare here in Canada and around the world. So one of the key things to know about healthcare is 75% of our healthcare workforce is made up of women. In Canada, we're looking at about 70 to 75. Globally, in some countries, it's 80 to 90% of healthcare workforce is actually women, especially in the nursing and allied health sciences. So there's a huge population of workforce. So take us through a regular day in the life of a female healthcare worker, just to give us a perspective. So that's a very broad question in a sense. Female healthcare workers range from physicians to all other support nurses, pharmacists, dentists, uh, allied health professionals, support staff. So there's a broad spectrum. And depending on which system and which type of profession we are talking about, their working lives will be very different. But overall, some of the common elements are they are all pretty much working in a shift environment, whether they are working a nine to five shift or they are working being on call and they are working on weekends and weeknights. They all have that shift environment. They have patient care responsibilities. Then uh, some of the nursing or physician workforce or other allied health professionals will also have research responsibilities. They'll also have community engagement because the nature of their job makes them community leaders as well. So above and beyond just taking care of patients in the hospitals, they also have to engage in the larger systems level. Uh, and then there are administrative responsibilities that they are facing. So we are talking about a workforce that works the regular shift plus an additional double shift of doing all the other things. Again, depending on the type of healthcare worker, your work hours and workloads are very different. I find it fascinating that you talk about paperwork. We don't think about paperwork as being something that healthcare professionals do. That's for the administrators, the people who wear the plain clothes. But does paperwork really play that significant a role in the people who essentially are walking around in scrubs and stethoscopes? Absolutely, right? We all rely on them doing the documentation. So whether you're looking at it from a payment perspective, organizational perspective, whether you're looking at it from a research perspective, or even continuity of care, the documentation, documentation, documentation. There's more requirements from healthcare professionals to document every single interaction. So if you think about your recent interaction with the healthcare professionals, you would remember that like, they would ask you a lot of questions and they'll start typing these things while they are working with you. And in fact, pre-COVID, the research around physician burnout documented electronic health record and documentation is one of the major causes of burnout in physician workforce. So yes, there's tons of administrative responsibilities that healthcare workers face above and beyond taking care of the patients. And even taking care of the patients itself can be such a challenge. I've had nurses and, and doctors come to me and say, I have patients who simply don't want to see me because I'm a woman. Or I have uh, a patient who doesn't want to believe anything that I'm saying because I'm a woman. Obviously, there's also the challenge of essentially just trying to be a healthcare professional in a world where people may not want or, or believe you to be one. Exactly. The gender plays a huge role in the care process. And uh, in fact, like, I mean, I, I also coach uh, healthcare professionals and, and in most of my coaching engagement, the women would talk about the challenges they faced in terms of the symbolic representation, right? So just being a female healthcare professional means that 
some patients don't trust them. They don't, like you said, or they don't want the female patient, uh, physician or female nurse uh, practitioner to take care of them. They want, And always there's a misunderstanding. So if you're in a room full of team-based care happens and uh, uh, physicians, nurses, allied health professionals all walk into a patient's room and oftentimes the male in that group is uh, considered as the doctor and uh, the patients normally talk to that male in the room as opposed to the female in the room and I have heard numerous examples of this in Canada, in the US and globally. There's always that recognition with the profession. So if you're a doctor, you are a man and if you're a nurse, you are a woman. If that's the case, do we see a significant increase in the amount of imposter syndrome? I can't even imagine that someone you're trying to take care of doesn't look at you based on your profession or how many years of experience and education you've gone through. They just simply see you for what you are in front of them. Exactly. This is a huge area in the healthcare field. And in fact, we also see a trend in terms of the racial differences. So a female health professional, a woman of color, would be treated very differently than a male healthcare professional. Because so again, these symbolic representations and patient, how patients see it, and this causes the imposter syndrome actually causes more stress and burnout in healthcare workforce. And that just seems like the exact opposite for me. If I'm seeing a person of color, a female person of color in the room, I'm assuming that person has gone through so much, overcome so many obstacles to be able to get to that position. I honor that person and appreciate that person. Is that normal or or am I sort of a freak? So you are probably one of the outliers, right? And I mean, I, I have to be honest, like I think there's a trend, there's a shifting understanding, there's more uh, understanding of the changing demographic of healthcare professionals. In fact, if you look at the medical school classes right now, over 50% of the medical school classes are female students. And if you look at their racial differences and things, you're going to see more uh, visible minority students who are going into medicine. So you're seeing the trend, but I think we are at the early stages of this understanding and the culture and the respect. And it's great that you see this way. And a lot of people see this way, but not there's an awful lot of people who are not seeing it this way as well. So there's a disconnect between what people want and uh, what the realities are, and that's causing a lot of uh, issues. That really talks to public education. Those are definitely conversations we should be having. But when we talk about the healthcare workers themselves, we really are speaking about the systems that are in place to provide that proper education, not only through school, but also through continuing medical education. I know that you're an expert in that. I want to find out from a person like yourself who essentially is called a realist applied researcher, you put yourself into a real environment. How does leadership and research to help education, not just in school, but also through continuing, help improve the well-being of women in the healthcare field, if at all? That's a really powerful question Jason and there's many components to this question I think what I want to take us one step back to say the current understanding about burnout stress all these microaggressions imposter syndromes that are causing these things are looked up as a individual issue so 
there's a lot of initiatives in the organizational levels where they are focusing on improving resiliency. Let's give the women the tools so they could build their resiliency. Let's give them the leadership skills so they could manage these kind of contexts. Let's teach them about emotional intelligence. Let's teach them about mindfulness. However, what we are missing in this whole process is the factors are actually structural and cultural, right? So you could give all the tools you want to these women, but if we don't change the structures and culture, it's not going to make a major difference. So yes, these tools are key. We need to give the women the resiliency, so they the tools to be resilient. However, we also need to make sure that we change these things. So this is not going to be an issue in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years to come, right? So we are not talking about the same issue 20 years down the road. So I think we need to think about interventions at all three levels. So yes, we need to help the women right now. However, we also need to change the structure and the culture in healthcare to give a clear understanding about the complexities, the type of leaders that we are seeing in the healthcare and the resources they need to function effectively to deliver the patient care. I hear what you're saying and it makes me so comforted because we did a show on food security in our first season and we were talking about how women are finally starting to make an impact in improving food security around the world. And the same things that you were saying, education is part of it, yes. But there also has to be this component of inclusion, the respect of believing that someone who may not have been thought of in the past is actually one of the people taking over as a leader. And I'm thinking, my goodness, this is a perfect opportunity with what we're dealing with right now with this pandemic to be able to see women taking the lead, not just in the front lines, but also through research and also through the development of health leadership so that we can make a more even platform for people not only to work, but also for us to be cared for. I, I just want to know, have I got that right or or am I missing something? No, I think you have captured it right. And the thing right now that we need to think about is if we are still living in a culture where female healthcare workers are told like you know you are you are a new mom or you're going to have a child and therefore you may not be suitable for this specific leadership role you may just want to think about a different career or you may not be right fit for this organization because you can't really give in your 300% right so a lot of decisions are being made for the women based on the assumptions, without giving those women the voice and the opportunities to be able to do what they can and will do. There's a cultural challenge and a structural challenge that women are facing. And like you said, the training is key, but we are starting to think about these things, but we are a long way to go in terms of addressing these things. If you had the opportunity to implement a policy, any policy whatsoever to be able to reflect the needs of women in healthcare. What would you suggest that our healthcare leaders bring in, implement to be able to improve conditions, regardless of whether we have a pandemic or not? Listen to the women in your healthcare organizations, understand what they want, and develop programs and policies based on what they want and what their experiences are. Instead of saying, let's do one size fit all programs and policies just because this is what the literature said. 
healthcare, leadership, burnout. This is organizational changes are complex. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber. To improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. And it has to be organization and context specific. I've come to learn a rule in healthcare. Never, ever say the Q word. Quiet. It's akin to saying Macbeth in a theater or pointing out a streak in sports. The minute it's uttered, you can expect the worst. The point, of course, is that even at the best of times, the healthcare environment is a busy and bustling place. A single working shift can sap a great deal of energy from you and leave you with few resources for the rest of the day. Now add COVID-19 to the mix, and you can see how that can lead to a variety of problems such as anxiety, burnout, and depression. After all, it's not just one shift on one day, it's continuous. To better understand how the pandemic has affected our healthcare heroines, Abby Shriharan has conducted a study to find out the real situation. What she has learned is that the problems are more complicated than we might think, and that resolutions may be even harder to implement. Tell us about your study. So when the pandemic happened in early spring, uh, and as I mentioned, I am also a leadership coach and I coach healthcare women. And I started seeing a common trend of burnout and stress and a lot of anxiety among these women about what's happening around them. Um, and there was also literature and discussions in the healthcare about, okay, we, we are seeing a lot, lot of mental health issues. We need to create programs. Let's give them psychologist help. Let's give them psychiatrist help. And this quickly, the issues became a medical issue and let's fix this by another solution of giving them treatment. And what I was seeing from the interactions with other healthcare women were the they were experiencing a systems change and occupational stress. And my colleagues and I reached out, uh, did a proposal to CIHR to study the experiences of women in healthcare and specifically to understand what are some of the triggers. And if we can understand those triggers, then we could actually develop interventions to address those triggers or find out strategies to mitigate those triggers. So that's the purpose of that specific research. Interestingly, organizations, and especially the healthcare professional societies, were trying to understand the same thing. And there was a nice partnership that emerged from that work a lot of research interest went into this mental health of healthcare workers. In the first three, four months of the pandemic, there was about 
3,000 research literature on this topic. And the next three months saw another 3,000. So there's an influx of research on this topic. But most of this research is around the mental health status of women and healthcare workers in general at a point of time. So let's do a cross-sectional study. Let's see what's the level of anxiety, what's the level of stress. These studies are really good because it shows there's a problem. However, there's little information about how to solve this problem. So we attempted to look at the literature to understand what are the triggers and how do we address these triggers? What are the interventions that's actually working and what are some of the gaps that we need to do? And we looked at it from a four different contexts. One is from an individual context. So what are some of the factors that are related to the healthcare professional itself? What are some of the factors that are related to the structure of healthcare? What are some of the factors that's related to the political environment? When I say political environment, it's a broader system, the policies, the pandemic, all the things that we are seeing in terms of lockdowns and all of that. And then the fourth angle is looking at the culture of healthcare and what are some of the factors from that. Now, before we get into the results, you said that you had buy-in from the leadership, the so-called C-suites, and that's rare. As someone in infection prevention control, having the executives on board for anything is an achievement. And and I'm wondering how receptive were these leaders in helping to better understand the impact of COVID-19 on healthcare workers, especially female healthcare workers? I I think as a collective, they were all facing the similar challenges, the COVID-19. And I think in general population, all of us were facing the same thing. So there's already an understanding, a heightened understanding about the situation. So that actually helped to bring an issue to the forefront. Burnout is not new. However, the COVID-19 has actually allowed an opportunity to put a front seat, uh, look at the whole issue. And I think given the need for healthcare workers to address COVID-19, the organization's actually paying more attention to saying, what can we do better to support our healthcare workers, right? So there's an increased attention from the C-suites. That is just amazing. I'm, I'm just so happy that you had that. Okay, let's move on to the results now. So you talked about the four different levels, the individual, organizational, political, cultural. Take us through how the impacts of COVID-19 affected female healthcare workers in these four different sectors? So from what we are finding from the literature, from the global perspective, is women, especially when they are young and less experienced in healthcare, are finding a little bit more uh, burnout uh, just because they haven't experienced a pandemic like this before. But one of the potential triggering factor to that is also related to social isolation. Because of lockdowns and social distancing, they isolated and that may be adding to the burnout factor. The second group of, in terms of the individual factors, is women who have younger children. Again, that may be triggered by the school closures and all the other public health measures that's happening and their dual responsibility of caring at home as well as working. Most of us can work from home with during COVID, but healthcare workers have to go to work. And then they have their children in the early parts of the lockdowns at home with them. And daycares were not working. Some of them had access to these things. So there was a lot of unknowns that may have triggered this. So that's coming up as a theme 
in terms of early career women as well as women who have younger children were under immense stress during the early parts of COVID-19. Then the other individual factors were if they are socially isolated and they don't have the peer networks and the support networks to be able to engage and support each other, that was causing this. But then the main part of uh, their worry at the individual level was around infecting their families. They are at work, they come home and they could infect their families. There was a lot of unknowns about the transmission of the virus, uh, what's the incubation period, all of those things, right? So they were worried about that part, about safety of themselves, but mostly about safety of their families. And then the safety of their patients, because they, if they are working in the front lines with the COVID-19 patients and they are working from one patient to the other patient, how they may be influencing them. So the safety issues came up. From a structural perspective, most of the healthcare women don't have a place to rest in the hospitals. The way the hospitals are structured, there's no common place to sit and rest and all of those things. There might be cafeterias that they have to go and eat, but there's no place to rest. Hospitals used to have physician lounges and nurses' lounges, but they no longer have these things in most of the hospitals. Absenteeism was going up, and when people were absent, the others, the workload increased for others. The, when the caseload increased, when the COVID-19 cases came higher in the hospitals, there was also increased caseloads to manage. Oftentimes, these women didn't get additional compensations. And the access to PPE in the early days of COVID-19 increased a lot of stress. There were income issues. So when surgeries got cancelled and uh, the nurses have to be redeployed to different things, nurses who were on contract and hourly jobs were impacted or PSWs who were on hourly jobs were impacted. So if PSWs who worked in multiple long-term care facilities were told they could only work in one long-term care. So loss of income was not accounted in their policies and programs. And then in terms of the cultural factors, I found it really interesting. And healthcare workers are celebrated as heroes. There's a lot of hero worshipping happening, happened around COVID-19, early stages of COVID-19. But that also increased an additional stress because there's a, everyone is expecting us to do more. And therefore, we need to do more for the society as well as, okay, now we also have responsibilities at home, that tension. But on the same time, they also faced a lot of stigma associated with this assumption that healthcare workers were contagious and therefore we need to be isolated from healthcare workers. So a lot of healthcare women faced uh, social isolation. While there are four different components, they're not completely compartmentalized from one another. The, the whole idea of trying to solve one of these problems is not just simply a matter of one implementation. This sounds like it's going into the full context of implementation science from the individual all the way to the cultural. These problems are not going to be easy fixes, are they? Realist researchers like us, ask, like myself, ask these questions. What works in one context and why? And then how do we take that lesson and then help the other organization think about it, but adapt their solution to their uh, situation? It's the same thing with these um, issues around managing stress and burnout or addressing the burnout factors in the healthcare. We need to think about organization-specific solutions and understand what are the factors in my organization and then do the interventions based on identifying those factors and then eliminating those factors. 
where do you feel that we should be looking as the first step so that we can start not only educating the healthcare environment, but also the public? Yeah, I think it's honestly, it starts with the leadership in each organization. And I think we need to think about how do we train healthcare leaders at all levels, whether it's at this individual team level, department division levels to the largest systems organizational level to understand the burnout factors and understand that organizational culture is a major trigger of this thing. So when I say talk about culture, it's, sometimes it's the rituals in the organization. Sometimes it's the policies in the organizations. Sometimes it's the structural factors in the organization. Those are all causing these stresses and burnouts, right? So it starts with every intervention, complex intervention starts with leaders. And we need to focus on leadership development and making sure that the leaders understand how to not only influence and support individual health workers uh, in their organizations, but also try to change the systems and cultures that they have influence over. And if we can change that, we'll have a ripple effect and in terms of improving the system for healthcare women. And there's no better stone to create those ripples as well than public interest. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's that's the other part of the coin is the public is not aware about these things, right? I often hear people saying, oh, I didn't know the doctors had theirs. But they are doctors or they are nurses and they shouldn't be feeling this way, right? Uh, So there's again that stigma because you are a doctor, you are a nurse, you are a health professional, you are somehow um, a hero. You can't feel, feel these things. So I think the public needs to understand this. Public needs to appreciate what the healthcare professionals are going through. That takes us to the end of the discussion. But I'm sure we haven't answered all your questions about the effects of COVID-19 on healthcare workers, and especially our healthcare heroines. Tweet me at jatetro or email me at thegermguy at gmail.com. You can also head over to speakpipe.com slash sass and post your question there. We'll take several of them and give you the answers next week. In the meantime, for Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It really does help spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to Abby Sriharan. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer. And sound design and final production is by Greg Shaw. Have a great week. Stay safe. And as always, make sure to show them some sass. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you there?
Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.